0: I think um, this is very abstract in general, but the biggest thing I would say is like just do it. Don't let something like hold you back, or um, you know something stop you from doing what you think is right. So being righteous in that way, you know, really helps out, and in ways that a lot of people don't know, and something that I've discovered too.
1: listening to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast. Here's your host, Stu Swineford.
2: Hey everybody, Stu here. My guests today are from the Apollo Foundation and they have this really cool organization that's touching lives worldwide and, and really helping to change the way that education is handled um, for the underprivileged around the world. These are a group of really great go-getter uh, high school kids who decided to found create this foundation and one of the things that we talked about was culture in your organization and how to make sure that everybody is aligned and and all driving toward that that north star it was a conversation that went all over the place in terms of of topics but these guys are doing some really neat stuff i'm excited for you to be able to listen to it and i hope you enjoy it here we go hey everybody how are you doing today great awesome awesome Awesome. we have the team from the Apollo foundation on the show today and where where are you guys all calling in from
1: westminster new jersey
2: all right East coast. Um, this episode is going to air in late May or early June. Um, but right now I think it's probably, you guys have been getting some weather out there, right?
3: Yep. Yeah. It's just been
4: like like a constant cycle.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Well, I hope you're hanging in there. I know that it's, it's always a challenge, uh, when we have these big storms come in. So I'm, I hope you guys are doing well out there. So, um, I'll let you kick it off with a little bit of history and, and information about the Apollo Foundation. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about what you're doing. It sounds like you're doing some really cool things to help um, help people in the Middle East.
3: This in our freshman year. Um, aside for Ishan, who started this. Uh, well, actually, he also started this in his freshman year, but he came in one year later. Um, so... We started this and Ishan actually came up with this project called the, uh, Rashni project, okay. uh, which is situated in Bihar, India. And this focuses on, uh, providing education for underprivileged students in that area. Uh, so that was basically the first project we started off with. And we kind of grew from there, uh, from starting, uh, to work with other foundations in uh, different parts of the world. And, yeah. It-
1: yeah. And just to preface, our mission is generally just to fund and provide um, accessible education to um, underprivileged schools and students in rural, rural communities around the world um, that are suffer, uh, suffering from poverty. And the one we started with is actually the Roshni Foundation. Okay. Uh, it's called the Roshni Learning Center in Bihar, India. Um, and basically, it's a, a school with two branches, um, and they have around 150 students. Uh, and what we do is provide curriculum material, um, and as well as funds, generally for making sure the the environment of education is proper for them to learn.
2: Oh, that's great! And it's mostly in STEM, or is it across you know all the? I mean, I mean,
1: um, at first uh, we were just doing generally like uh, subjects, but we also like are doing a project um, that focuses on STEM and robotics. And Arush can talk more about that.
4: Yeah. Um- so. Actually i think on. yeah yeah sure so i think it's also worth to mention that um we did start off with the rashi project but we've also i mean yeah as you said we've um we have other initiatives in the middle east uh, which is our Yemen initiative and we've also um created um initiatives in Cameroon and um east africa through the Asante foundation and yeah so now we can have you um Arush explain more about the robotic side of it
0: yeah so I just wanted to preface really quickly and talk a bit more about the process because I think it's important to shed light upon uh, that so perfect one of the things so the way we kind of approached this is that uh we all had this um idea that we wanted to really give back to people uh, who don't necessarily have the same education opportunities and also people that you know don't have equal access to resources for education so Uh, where the process comes in is not only do we want to provide for these uh, people and uh, these people in need, but we also wanted to, you know, bring our local community and some other people uh, from, you know, different chapters, which, uh, uh, which other people can talk about later. So we just wanted to bring these people in and to help with this project. So really our foundation has, you know, three main large wings. We have, uh, things for actually supporting these uh, children in schools directly. And this comes from the form of, you know, funding uh, and, you know, making sure that they have ample resources and uh, whatever is necessary for them. We also have um, general things for education. So developing curriculum and making sure that, you know, they have the resources, especially if it's in their native language. So making sure that they can understand all that. And lastly, we have something where we have set up a communication platform for different chapters that we have. So since this is an organization, we have, uh, you know, different people that are uh, working from, you know, different parts of the world. So we have people ranging from, you know, different states in the U.S. to, you know, places in India. So it's really cool to be able to connect with different people. And that really is how we uh hone in on making sure that we're giving back uh, to these people. And uh, just to talk one quick thing about the device before I hand this off to Avi is um, uh, we also want to m- make sure that we're developing their STEM skills a little as well. So not only are we taking the approach of, you know, just simple education, making sure that they're aware of different concepts and subjects, but we also want to make it a bit more hands-on where they have some robotics kits that they can play along with and... Uh, really develop skills that they wouldn't be able to before. So,
2: Great.
5: Yeah, something that we noticed was that though we were focusing on STEM educations, we realized that these children didn't have the background to learn STEM and to learn these difficult concepts. So we kind of tracked back and decided to focus on curriculum in general and the more basic levels where we could try to help them with English, math, science that was necessary to succeed in a STEM career. So what we tried to do is build a variety of curriculums and we actually succeeded by getting other people to make them as well. And we were able to provide them with enough information, enough of a base for, to have them for success in the future. So what we also were able to do, we were able to provide the children in India, the Bihar project specifically, the Roshni project, where mm-hmm. we were able to give them this curriculum and then eventually build their foundation into a more STEM-based curriculum.
2: Okay, that's great. And what what ages are you guys starting your engagement? Are are these, um, you know, grade schoolers? Or are they older than that? Where where do you guys plug in?
4: It's Mostly grade schoolers, I think.
2: Okay, uh, so grade school is the is the primary an initial focus.
5: Yeah, but we also noticed that a lot of the older kids didn't have the same foundation or the things they needed to succeed. So we kind of didn't do it based off age, but based off skill level, because that's something we noticed that everyone was lacking certain things. So we just started people at certain concepts rather than the age groups.
2: Okay. That's really cool. How, um, how many, how long have you guys been doing this
5: for about three years now?
2: Three years. Great. So, what are some of the successes that you've seen uh, to date? Where where are you seeing um, good traction, and and obviously you're getting some uh, some great traction because you're expanding into different parts of the world. Yeah. Um, so what tell tell me a few of the success stories?
0: Yep. So I can just kick it off with one. Uh, I think one thing that is uh, that we would consider a success is um, the connections that we've gotten out of this organization, and that's something that's not really talked about. Um, too much because, um, I mean, like as high schoolers, we really consider being able to connect with, you know, not just other children in need, but also um, people other than us that are helping, um, uh, be it the local or global communities. Um, I think this is one of the successes is that we're allowed to uh, connect with them and reach out to them for, you know, any advice we need or uh, general things such as that.
2: Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds amazing. So, so you guys started this three years ago in your freshman year. So, are you all seniors now? Um, we're juniors,
4: and okay. um, Ishan is a sophomore right now.
2: Okay, great. Um, what What are the biggest challenges that you guys are facing? Is it getting, you know, donors? Is it Is it bringing in people to help as as kind of mentors in the program? What What are the biggest challenges that you that you see with the program right now? I think at this point, um, uh, don't, getting
3: donors is a pretty good uh, steady basis of getting um, some uh, money. But what we're having trouble with is securing sponsorships because many companies are having trouble, especially during the pandemic. So okay. they don't have much resources to spend on uh, nonprofits. So that's essentially the main point we're struggling with. Okay. But uh, donation-wise, uh, we're not really struggling in that aspect.
2: Oh, that's great. So tell me a little bit about your sponsorships. What what types of people are you trying to engage?
5: So as a STEM-based organization where we try to help specifically uh, improve STEM education, we try to get information from more. We try to get sponsorships and like help from these companies that focus on software or that can also act as mentors, not just funds. So mm-hmm. we recently po- sponsored with Bentley Partnerships, which is a large software company, which really proved to be beneficial for us in hosting a hackathon that was international and had many people attending.
2: Yeah, that's great. So you guys have ma- managed to put together some some uh, virtual events, then.
0: Yeah, it's been hard, and uh, you know the the situation we have with the pandemic. So we've really been trying to work hard on hosting certain events. So like Avi mentioned. One of them was the hackathon that we hosted, so it was a new experience for us being able to, you know, get some people participating and, um, you know, setting up this event as a whole. Uh, okay. In the future, we're definitely definitely planning to do some more events. Um, um, you know, it can be on the lines of the hackathon, and we're also planning to do some other events and competitions with some of the other branches that we have.
2: Okay. That's great. And so tell me a little bit about a little bit more about the types of sponsors that you're looking for. It sounds like software companies. Um, I heard you say robotics are, what's your, what's your current strategy around bringing new, new sponsors on?
4: Uh, well, I current. think a, um, a core tenant in our, um, in our, um, search to find sponsors is finding sponsors that reflect our interests and, okay. um, And, you know, obviously that reflect what we're trying to, um, the education that we are trying to provide to the students, um, that we're supporting. So since we do have, um, a bit of a greater emphasis on STEM and robotics, um, curriculums, we Mm do, we do, um, I guess it's, we, we, we are accepting of all types of sponsors, I guess, but the sponsors that are most interested to work with us are usually ones that are, um, like you said, software companies and ones that do, um, do their work in the STEM fields.
2: Okay. So what's your approach to, to getting in front of people? Do you have, uh, you know, like a, uh, a fantasy target list that you're, that you've put together in terms of like, if, if we could just get these five people on board, we'd, we'd be thrilled to death or how, how, what's your process?
1: It's not really a, um, a fantasy list really. Um, so, it's more of us, um, cold emailing and cold calling, um, tech companies near us. For example, there's one that we're looking towards is, um, LSI Next Gen Technologies. Okay. Um, he's actually, uh, the CEO is actually good friends with Barack Obama. And what we're trying to do is gain a connection with the CEO as well as try to, uh, also use his connections in order to get on a bigger platform sure and sort of yeah speak about our foundation and that kind of that that kind of publicity really helps our foundation um we're also looking at um companies that have helped first robotics in the past and first robotics is an organization that um arish was talking about before we partnered with first robotics teams uh who compete in competitions Mm -hmm. across the across the u.s and other countries as well we're looking at companies who are sponsoring them who could also sponsor our cause and that's and and another big thing that's helping us is our volunteering platforms and ryan can talk about that uh, in terms of like fundraising in our departments
2: okay yeah let's sure hear
4: yeah so we've um constructed three um volunteering departments in, as part of the apollo foundation to manage our volunteers um we have our fundraising department we have the general outreach department and we have our operations department so um with fundraising the main focus is for um obviously fundraising and um you know trying to find and create um events that we could host um to bring in more money for our initiatives okay um so it's sort of like a creative base for um any of the major activities so just the, the hackathon was a product um, of the fundraising de- of the fundraising department that we, um, yeah, yeah, it was a process. It was a product of a, of the fundraising department that they, um, that we helped, uh, create through that department. And we also with the other departments, the, um, the public relations department, it's mainly based on social media and okay. trying to get our name out there, um, in terms of, other aspects such as newspaper, uh, public publications or, um, partnering with the company. Uh, I think we also did do, did do a partnership with Bentley to, uh, to have a, um, yeah, they would be publicizing us as well.
2: Okay. Um, How's that going?
4: Oh, Oh yeah. I mean, uh, we are keep, we're keeping up our um, social media accounts and, You know, we are, um, it's the same thing with sponsorships. It's a little bit more difficult to find companies that are willing to um, publicize us during the pandemic, but we are working through it. And we do have some exciting projects um, in store for that. And with the operations department, it's mainly based on, um, it's, yeah, it's mainly mainly based on creating the curriculums uh, that we provide for the initiatives that we host in the, um, in, in India and Africa and the Middle East. And, um, we, we create worksheets and instructional videos for, um, in that department or, and we have volunteers and yeah, each, I should also mention each of these departments, we, um, we, we, we recruit our volunteers into these departments and they do, um, and the work of our volunteers is mainly, um, you know, sort of focused and, and directed into, um, the, the scope of each department.
2: So, okay, great. So yeah. you're using volunteers to, to kind of fuel the the heavy lifting in each of these, in each of these divisions within your organization.
4: Yeah, we, um, it's it, it sort of, um, tra- it's, we're, we're starting to transition into that. At, at the beginning, the department was mainly, um, you know, um, each one of us, I, when we didn't have a lot of volunteers, each one of us, like, um, I think Ishan was head of the operations, I was head of public relations, and we just sort of uh, tried to do it our own way. And, yeah. you know, get our, um, get the, get the job done in terms of that when we didn't have volunteers, but now we are trying to, um, direct it into something more volunteer based and we can sort of supervise the, um, the process okay. going forward.
2: Yeah. Okay. That's great. And are you trying to tap other, other, uh, high school kids to do the volunteer yeah, work? Definitely. Or are you looking, um, looking for older people? What, what's the volunteer base look like?
4: Uh, mostly as of now, we haven't, um, uh, tapped into the base of getting older people to okay, uh, hop on volunteering. I mean, there are, it's, it's uh, any volunteers are welcome, but our main like direction towards getting volunteers has been high school and middle school students.
2: Okay, great. And so, tell me a little bit about your uh your outreach. Are you? I know you're on LinkedIn because that's where I that's where I met all of you. Yeah. Um, but uh, where where else are you active in terms of of social media?
4: Yes. If, if you want me uh, to talk about this one. Uh, yeah. So we can, um, so I can actually plug our um, Instagram for a second. Uh, it's Apollo FDN. So you can follow us there. And we do uh post, uh, rela- uh, post related to uh, any events that we're hosting or new partnerships that we, um, that we acquire. And we okay. also um, manage a Facebook and a Twitter, I think of the, with the same handle Apollo FDN. Okay. Um, and you can check us out there and we can, and we do post, I and mean, we post more on Instagram. But we do post um, any uh, major ena- announcements or um, partnerships on there as well. I think.
2: Okay, great.
4: Yeah, and just,
1: and just a preface. Um, there are also some other projects we do other than um, the Roshni project and um, like social media. So there's also the uh, the Lua Conservancy project. So, like Ryan mentioned before, we partnered with the Sante Africa Foundation. And we're kind of in talks with the CEO. Her name is Erna Grass. Okay. Um, and she, she's really um uh, into like what we do in terms of STEM education and how we can act, help their initiatives. They have many initiatives and like regional co- coordinators in like multiple countries in East Africa. Okay. Um, the one uh that we're mainly focusing on is Kenya. So. They uh, have they're helping something called the Lua Conservancy Project, and it's essentially a, a wildlife conservancy project. And what they do is, um, once a month, they go around a vehicle with suitcases and and hand and ha- hand those suitcases out um, to underprivileged students in the uh, schools that they that they sponsor. Okay. So it's a wildlife conservancy project, but they also sponsor schools around them.
2: Okay. Um, so it's an educational program that's trying to get kids. Uh, under to understand wildlife conservancy through education is that um, how there's it, a tie-in? It,
1: uh, it's it's not really that much of a tie-in. Oh, okay, um, it, it's 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 mainly uh, there are some people from the Sante Africa Foundation who started this wildlife conservancy project. Okay, but they're also sponsoring schools around them in okay. that in, in those rural uh, areas. Okay, um, so uh what they do is those suitcases have uh textbooks in them uh, mm-hmm. ranging from Subjects like math, economics, and stuff like that. And what they do is hand out those suitcases. Um, and it's, it's kind of essentially a library on wheels is what they call it. Okay. So that's a really cool thing. Um, they also help uh, schools in places like um, Uganda, which we're also looking to reach out to. But mainly okay. our focus is this Lua Conservancy Project and helping them incorporate STEM.
2: Okay, great. So you're trying to come in and help them with curricula. And that's that's sort of where the the biggest tie-in happens to to your foundation.
1: Exactly. And, okay. And and there's also another one in uh, a project in Cameroon. Um. So the the school is called Saint Joseph Foundation Evening School. Okay. And what we have is a, we do we have a regional director there, um, who's part of our organization and also heading the operations, um, at Cameroon itself. So. It's in Yaounde, Cameroon, the, the capital, and essentially it's an underprivileged school um, with around 150 students to 200 students, and the and they are um, unlike Roshni and the Lua Conservancy Project. They're around 18 years old, uh, 16 to 18 years old. So they're they're older and okay. they're kind of around our age, right? So right. what we're doing is also providing moneta- monetary donations to them. Okay. Um. So that we can make sure that make sure the building's infrastructure is sustainable and effective for all these students. Um, Our our regional director and some other teachers kind of coordinate that school, and they're like preparing the older students for GRE exams as well.
2: So that's okay. well, cool. I mean, you guys are, are doing a lot and it's really inspiring to talk with some, uh, you know, young, young people, younger people who are, who are just getting after it. Um, You know, you're, you're kind of all over the world. You're doing a ton of things. Um, Let's, let's step back for just a minute back to the question of, of engaging with potential partners and, and potential sponsors Um. So it sounded to me, or at least what I heard was that you, you guys are doing a lot of cold email and cold calling. Um, What, what's that process look like? Are you, are you pitching immediately or are you just trying to get, um, you know, build relationships? How, how are you, how are you approaching that, that acquisition?
0: Yeah. So um, I think the general process with, uh, and Avi, you can piggyback off me for this as well. So, the general process for uh, you know connecting with either cold calls and cold emails, like you mentioned, is that we generally try to make use of our personal connections uh, a okay. lot since that we have a lot of since we have a lot of people in our foundation, uh, and then we try to branch off to um, you know other connections that we have on different social media applications or uh, platforms such as LinkedIn is one okay. like of the most commonly used ones for us, um, and based on that, uh, we can connect with. Uh, uh, these people um, and sponsors Uh, and that's the general process for what it looks like so really making use of personal connections first and then branching out to you know the external domain which is what we call it and abhi if you want to talk more about this
5: yeah more on the small scale specifically for our specific uh headquarters of apollo foundation we try to get our volunteers to also cold email and cold call just sending emails like we were wondering if we could have a call with you and to discuss further ideas or talking specifically about getting sponsorships and what we do. So it's really per se inefficient, but we have had some success rate with it. So that's the only way we know how to do it. And we continue to do it that way, but we are looking to hopefully expand and find ways to increase our efficiency in getting sponsorships. But obviously, especially in this time, people don't want to exactly sponsor when they are struggling in their own businesses
2: yeah for sure so it's an interesting time uh, we you know we work a lot in the nonprofit space as you might imagine and we've seen kind of both sides of it in terms of the willingness for people to to come on and 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 support a nonprofit organization um, and then some of the challenges associated with that as well one of the things and this is a, this is anecdotal but certainly one of the things that that we have seen, is some nonprofits are having a pretty good success with getting um, a lot more um, engagement on a on a smaller level. So people are wanting to participate, but they just aren't participating in you know, like the multi five figure or six figure um, donation level or sponsorship level. So that provides a couple of opportunities. And the first one is just in this list building phase. And so w- what I think, would be interesting for you to to consider is instead of going for the would you like to be a sponsor type of ask in those initial conversations, slow that down and, and really come at this from the idea that um, relationships are what you're trying to build. And relationships are built by um, having lots of interactions over a period of time. So, um, you know, just like when you you know, meet a new friend, um, you know, a lot of times people click immediately and, and away you go and you're, and your best buddies, but most of the time it requires a few interactions It you know, it typically requires, you know, uh, you know, seeing them in the hall or, or meeting them for something after school or, or seeing them online and, and then doing that several times. And then you kind of build a, a rapport and you, um, and, and you're, establishing that relationship. And it's the same with marketing and the same with building these sponsorship type of, of engagements. So what I think I would suggest, and I think you're positioned pretty well, given that you guys are all, um, in high school is coming at it from a position of asking people who have a certain, um, amount of expertise in a domain that fits with what you would like to be um, in terms of of a sponsor. So for example, find a bunch of robotics companies and reach out to them and just ask them a domain specific uh, question about robotics, about how to get a career in robotics about things that you wish kids coming out of high school or college knew about robotics and, and start to create and build that relationship from that position of, of curiosity and, um, and intentional authenticity, um, as opposed to jumping immediately to the, would you like to be a sponsor? Um, and that's that kind of this nurturing phase. It's this, um, you know, it's this first phase of, of of engagement where you're really trying to just build that relationship from the ground up. And that'll create an opportunity for things to be a lot more strong in the future. So when you do have the opportunity to ask them if they might be interested in in being a sponsor or, or, you know, having a mentorship capacity with your organization, they're much more willing to to do that because, you know, they feel like they they know you.
0: Yeah, I think that, that advice is very important. I think that's what we saw with um uh, Bentley systems as well. So I think that was one of the first sponsors where we first invited them to our event to show them what we've done so far in our progress and you know connect with them at a more personal level. Uh after which we asked them for, you know, promotional or monetary-based sponsorships. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that advice definitely carries too. And it would be much better if we implemented more of
5: that.
2: Yeah. And it's really great if you can tie in what they're doing to what you're doing in terms of giving them something to talk about. And this goes for PR as well. So if you're looking for, for what's called earned media, which is where, um, you go out and pitch a story to a, uh, you know, to, to a, uh, a newspaper or an online publication, um, really getting a story that, um, that people can wrap their arms around helps a ton when, um, when trying to get somebody to even just help you with reach. So essentially um, the Berkeley uh, organization, that's the name, right? Bentley. Uh, Bentley, I apologize. Oh, yeah, I apologize. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it was, no, it, it was my, Bentley. Yeah. yeah, my bad. The Bentley or, uh, organization. Um, if you can give them, if you can kind of feed them stuff to use that has a tie-in to what they're doing, that brings your name into the into the mix, that they can then share with their wider um, social media audience. Um, you know, just just smoothing that transition and giving them that runway is is uh, is really effective.
0: Yep, for sure.
4: Yeah. I think um, one thing I, um, I like about that idea is that it's um, very content-based. And I think that's um, something that we learned, especially once the pandemic set in. Because, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, before the um, – before, like, I think it was around February or March, you know, when COVID was, start, was first starting to be a thing. We were planning mm-hmm. um, an in-person hackathon okay, um, in our local area um we were going to host it at a um at a hotel and you know it it, it was it, it was just like one of those um the relationship building that you were talking about and like the nur- the nurturing phase we were really planning on doing that like in our local area you know partnering with local local businesses i think one specific example you know ishan can um correct me if i'm wrong but i think it was the crown plaza hotel uh we were going to yeah. um yeah it was the crown plaza hotel we were going to host the event at and i mean um that would have been a great example of something that of a um um, of, of, an organization that we could have partnered with, um, or because we had a relationship, you know, we were talking back and forth with one of the re- representatives, right. Um, at the, at the Crown Plaza hotel. And, um, we were planning on hosting our event there. And, you know, that's, I mean, I guess that's, I mean, I would imagine that's what you mean by building friends and, you know, um, you know, creating the rapport that we need to, um, garner sponsorship and stuff. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. So the other thing I would add to that is to make sure that those, particularly those relationships that you're building in terms of the social media impact are aligned with the target audience that you're trying to hit. So, um, though, I think it'd be an amazing thing to mention, uh, that hotel in some of your, some of your activities on, uh, particularly on, on social in, um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, um, you know, ask yourself whether or not they, the people who are following them are the people that you necessarily want to get in front of. And that doesn't mean that just general reach isn't a good idea because obviously there's, um, there's a real benefit to that. Um, just know that, that more specific reach. So getting in front of, um, you know, Sphero or, um, or, or some of these other robotics companies, or some software development companies that th- that the um, the audience that they're going to draw is going to be much more aligned with with those that you're trying to hit um, in terms of bringing volunteers in and then perhaps enticing other people to sponsor. Um, so that's where I think going back to that idea of, of building a list and, and thinking about who, who you would like to talk to, um, and then figuring out ways to, to get in front of those people and, and not, not immediately go for the ask when you do get in front of those people, but really try to just nurture those, those relationships a, a bit.
1: For sure. Yeah. And, um, I know Ryan, um, is also on this, so we were thinking of doing a, a some kind of webinar with, uh, one of our projects with uh, the Inspired Education Initiative, which is um, in Yemen, and what they do is help refugees and um, children that are forced into labor labor um, obtain a, a proper education. Okay. So uh, the the, the uh, CEO of this organization is kind of um, kind of heads this. Is uh, her name is Nabila Hazam, and we were thinking of doing some kind of webinar in order to um, speak about our. Uh, or cause it would be it would probably be a good um, platform virtual platform in order to um, publicize and stuff but do you have any input on this in terms of publicity and potential donors
2: well I like the idea of a recorded event and a webinar I think that that becomes scalable so it's something that you can create once and then you can share it uh, over and over again in theory there's material that comes out of that that becomes blog posts or or um, small uh more snackable content that you can use um on uh on on your social media platforms or elsewhere. So I think webinars can be great. They can also create an opportunity um to reuse the material in its entirety as kind of a repeat webinar. So you can kind of hold an, another webinar that feels live but but maybe isn't. Um, and so you know, I think webinars can go a a long way there. What I'm wondering is if you don't consider spinning up a podcast where you try to bring people on and just have conversations about, about STEM, about robotics, about education challenges in, um, in some of these underprivileged areas about education in general. Um, And to me, that might be a, a good opportunity to, be able to have something to give to people as you reach out to them and start to build this kind of library of, of information, um, that's accessible to, um, to a wider variety of, of people who, you know, who may be interested in, in a, in a certain specific topic, but you guys are having those conversations on a regular basis and publishing that material, um, in a, in a podcast form.
3: Yeah, I think, um, your insights are uh, pretty useful, and we'll try to use them in the long run. Um, but I also wanted to add that uh, since we're talking about publicity, um, some something that happened, uh, which is pretty great for our organization, was uh, that. So since we're a five hundred one c three organization, we were able to uh, apply for a Google. Mm-hmm. Um, Partnership. So the, essentially, what this partnership does is they give us ten thousand dollars in in-kind donations. Yep. Like per month on uh, Google Ads, and yeah. um, and so far we've actually gotten quite a lot out of it. So we got around ten thousand uh, interactions in okay. the last couple months. So yeah.
2: So when you when you say an interaction, are you building your email list? What what are the, what's an interaction look like for you guys?
3: So these interactions are basically um going to our website, clicking on the sign up page and then actually signing up to become a volunteer. Okay. Or just uh, signing up to uh get on our newsletter to learn more about uh anything Apollo
2: related. Okay, that's great. So how many how many people are on your email list right now?
3: So on the email list um Actually, uh, that's kind of hard to uh, check, but I can tell you that we've had, um, around 156 volunteers sign up okay. just through Google. Um, and these are volunteers that actually show that their status and we can see that they are a part of the newsletter. They're clicking the emails that we send them. Okay. Uh, yeah.
2: Great. And when you say newsletter, are you sending out that you know something that's pretty obviously a a, a one to many newsletter, or are these just emails that you send out on a regular basis?
3: So they uh, they contain um, different volunteer opportunities or uh, basically news about Apollo Foundation. Okay, uh, but that's pretty much the extent of it.
2: OK, cool. So there are a few things that I would recommend, and I think it's awesome that you've that you've tapped into Google Grants. It's uh, it's a really amazing program for nonprofits that um, that a lot of them don't know about or they don't know how to how to get involved with. So it's great to hear that you've tapped into that program. Um, so the first thing is what I would do is look at the ads that you're running um, on Google using the Google grants, uh, money that you've, that you've been given and make sure that you have a landing page on your site that you're sending that traffic to. That's really aligned with what that ad is asking. So if the ad is asking for volunteers, then have a, a landing page that talks about what it is to be a volunteer and how, how that person's, um, time is going to be leveraged to do good in the world, um, in the ways that you guys bring bring that that greatness to the table. Um, If the ad is more about, you know, join our email list, go ahead and have a a landing page that's very specific to that ask. So essentially, what you want to create is is really great and strong tie in between what was presented in the ad and what the person receives when they click on that ad. So if you if you're not doing that, I would highly recommend making sure you do that. Then on that landing page, really make sure that you optimize that page to tell your value proposition. So one of the things that you, one of the biggest challenges that nonprofits have is that you, you can't just necessarily dump people into the top of of the funnel and have them kind of go through a few processes. And then you get some, some activity at the end of that, you're really, really moving people against gravity. So, um, you're having to move them uphill. So it's a little bit of a different kind of challenge where there's friction kind of all along that process. And so what you want to do is, is try to eliminate friction as you're moving people up that process to make a decision. And that friction can be like what I said, if there's a disconnect between the ad that they saw and the landing page that they get, that's a friction point that you can, you can kind of, you know, you can, you can reduce that friction there just by making sure that there's a good tie in between those two actions. Once they're on the landing page, you can reduce the friction by getting rid of distractions in terms of, you know, are there other things that you're asking people to do? Are you asking them to to donate or to go look at the leadership team or any of that stuff? If you just strip all that stuff away, that reduces friction and allows people to move up that, up that ladder or up that mountain a lot more effectively until they take that action. Um, And then, you know, one of the things that you want to do as well is just make sure you tell that value proposition story. Why should people engage with your organization over all of the other opportunities that are out there and tell that story in a way that places them in the position of the hero. So really make it understood to them why they're um, involvement, whether that be a donation or a volunteer position or, or coming on as a sponsor, why doing that with your organization is going to make more of an impact than doing it um, with any of the other organizations that are doing similar things to what you are up to.
1: Yeah. And, and that really makes sense. Cause I guess that also ties into um, contacting robotics and STEM companies who would actually pay, play that part in terms of, um, us buying those robotics kits for kids in Roshni and stuff like that. Cause we can really connect to them um, to what they do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If there are, so that's, that's where relationship building is great. And um, we have people come to us wanting to help us advertise or, or, you know, make an impact. And they, you know, they'll ask me a question. Well, do you want to, do you want to be, do you want to be known nationwide or do you want to be known locally? Where, where are you trying to, to land. And I always start small. I always start with things that enable me to have some kind of a connection with people. So for example, if I'm trying to run a new campaign, I'm probably going to start here in the Denver or the Colorado area, because that's just an immediate differentiation. And it's immediate, it's an immediate commonality that I have with the people that I would be reaching out to. So, you know, it's just natural for me to say, Hey, you know, my name's Stu. I have a a digital marketing agency called Relish Studio. We're here in the Colorado area. And I noticed, and we, and we also work with nonprofits here in Colorado. And since you're a a non Colorado nonprofit, um, you know, it'd be great to have a, have a conversation or to, to connect with you here on LinkedIn or whatever it is that I'm trying to do, but really trying to focus on all of those little things that you have in common. So for example, if you've used somebody's robotic kit, um, that's something that you have in common with them is you've, you've actually used their product. Um, so just figuring out all those ways, and again, it's all about kind of reducing friction and creating opportunities to build relationships. And so just thinking about all those ways where you can you can get just a little bit of a foot in the door um, that it goes a long way.
5: Yeah, I think these ideas are really great, especially for the long term. And I think that after this podcast, we're going to go back and try to change our strategy to implement. These ideas, especially in our volunteers who do a lot of this small day-to-day stuff for us, so the connection-wise and stuff, we're going to try to implement these strategies, and I think they're really helpful.
2: So in terms of uh, how often are you are you mailing out to to your email list?
3: So um, as of right now, it's not so often, but whenever we have like an event, for example, like uh, we had that hackathon. We would have uh, uh mails like emails going out almost every week, re- uh, mm-hmm. reminding them about it, or telling people to reach out to their friends and families to uh, uh participate in the hackathon. Uh, okay. But essentially, right now we would get like we would send uh monthly uh emails talking about what uh like I said uh what volunteer opportunities there are and uh, essentially what Apollo Foundation is doing at the time.
2: Okay, great. Um, have you thought about creating opportunities to tell, uh, to to share valuable information about about your sector in terms of like changes in STEM or or um, you know new new technologies that are that are coming online for kids to learn more effectively in rural areas or, or things like that. So instead of being so focused on on, uh, news. That's all about you trying to flip that narrative a little bit and create, make it informational and, and value driven for the audiences that you're, that you're engaging with. Great. Cause I think that that might be a way to, to ensure that your, um, that, that your emails, they become something that people look forward to and that, and that they really want to engage with.
1: Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Um, and uh, would you say uh, that we need to change anything in, ter- in terms of how often we send those emails?
2: Well, one of the things that we've been doing, and we see this as, a, as valuable for nonprofits in general, is creating opportunities to tell to send emails that, that tell one story. So one of the things that newsletters tend to do um, is they tell, they, they usually tell a variety of different stories. And so within that newsletter, there might be, you know, five or six things that you're talking about, or five or six actions that you might be asking people to take, whether that's go read more about this initiative or donate or, um, you know, or find out about the hackathon that's coming up in, in a few weeks. So what that, what that does is it, 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 creates distractions. And so people don't necessarily know exactly what it is that you're wanting them to do. And so either they take an action that you didn't want them to take, um, or they, you know, tend to kind of ignore those things um, in general. So the other thing that a newsletter um, doesn't accomplish is create this feeling and this idea that that your email is a one-to-one conversation. So newsletters are very obviously, typically very obviously um, not written for a specific person. Uh, they tend to be designed um, in a way that people, you know, they know that like, think about if your mom sends you an email, it's, you know, text based, it's about one thing, maybe, maybe it's about a couple things, depending upon what your mom's trying to talk to you about uh, in that given moment. But ultimately, it really feels like a personal email. So the more that you can make your emails feel personal and feel one to one, um, the more effective they actually become. So creating opportunities to make sure that this is called the the email envelope, which is the who who is it being sent from? Is it a person or is it from your organization? And if you can make it become from a person in your organization, that can be a a, a lot more effective. If the if the 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 from email address is that person's email address or something that looks like that person's email address, as opposed to info at or something like that. That then becomes something where people say, oh, this is this is to me um, working in language in the subject line that that creates um, a sense of mystery, really kind of anchors everything in the you. So really trying to work language into your subject lines that say, Hey, you know, this is for you. Um, if there's a way to tie something to a date. So even if it's something like, Hey, I, I have something for you to consider today that taps into a, a sense of mystery. It taps into a sense of, of individuality and, and, and personal, um, approach that most emails from organizations don't. And it also creates something that's timely. So it feels like it was sent from a single person to a single person. Um, so even just doing that can really increase the open rates and the click rates of, of your email. And then once you get into the body, continuing that and really trying to tie in some emotion and trying to, again, do that value proposition that tell, you know, explains to people or helps people have an emotional, Reaction to and an emotional connection with your organization, as opposed to just um, being, you know, very dry in uh, and and asking for uh, specific things. So, those are some email tricks that uh, that we've certainly seen um, produce some some really good results.
5: So, in terms of these specialized emails, would you suggest doing mail merges or something where we can start with their name and then have their name interlaced throughout the? the message that we want to send them?
2: As long as it feels authentic. So one of the things that I would say is, is create an email and you can do mail merge. You can do, you know, bring in, um, you know, bring in their name on occasion. Um, and then re and then read it, say, so have a test sent to you with your name in there and read it. And if it feels too, Salesy, if it feels too like I'm using your name too much, then strip out a couple of them but really the the litmus test here is when you read that email, does it feel like it came from a person or does it feel like it came from a mail bot and if it feels like a person then you're you're definitely making uh making strides towards um improving those, and I think that you'll see them connect a lot more effectively and um and you know create the opportunity that you're trying to create with that with that in, in, engagement.
4: Yeah. Yeah, like I totally agree with that and I think um there is a lot more we could do with our emails that I think that that would help us you know see more human I guess to our audiences. But um while we're um on the topic of engagement, mm-hmm. we um we actually had another question about the volunteering aspect of our organization, you know, since we're a nonprofit obviously. Sure. Yeah. So um there has been trouble in, in in like in the middle. Maybe like um, maybe if there's like a lull between um events or something like that, where we might uh, have a have trouble engaging volunteers or having them uh, be active. Okay. So um, it, are, do you have any suggestions on how to like um, on how to keep them interested um in our work or have even more volunteers be able to come in to our organization?
2: Yeah. So um. This is what we would call the inspire phase of the engagement. You've gotten somebody to take an action. You've gotten them to raise their hand and say, I want to do something with this organization, but maybe you don't have something for them to do right away. Again, layering in one-to-one, at least a one-to-one feel, if not actual one-to-one conversations with that audience um, can just really Keep them super engaged, and what you can do is ask them questions, um, send them surveys, keep them just feeling like they understand exactly where um, where things are going with your organization and where they are right now. Um, so just really making sure that you are in contact with them on a regular basis. So if you got me to raise my hand and say, "Yeah, I'd like to," I'd like to volunteer as a mentor for uh, kids in Cameroon. Um, You know, obviously send them a thank you for your interest, tee up what the expectation should be. So, you know, say, hey, we're trying to get uh, things rolling here in, in the next three months. We're going to keep you appraised of what's going on in the meantime and, you know, and then give them a a way to reach out to you if they have any questions or ideas. And then, you know, maybe just leverage that opportunity, that relationship to ask them if they know anybody else who might be interested, maybe ask them survey questions about which country would you like for us to go in into next, Um, send them information about. Um, the volunteer opportunity that they signed up for in terms of, you know, this is what this is going to look like. And this is what we're hoping to achieve with this volunteer spot, but really just, just keep, keep in touch. Um, you know, it's like having a friend that you, that you, you know, maybe you, you live in different States and you don't get to see each other very much. Just reach out and just be, you know, willing to to listen and also willing to to give in terms of, of value back to that relationship.
1: Yeah, and on the topic of keeping in touch and kind of um, keeping them engaged, what do you think about um, probably maybe biweekly or monthly uh, video calls with them with um, volunteers from a specific department?
2: Oh, I think that'd be amazing, and it, it's kind of like the the idea that we talked about briefly earlier in in terms of a podcast, I think that you will get, if you have that kind of bandwidth, if you can do that um, or have your, your volunteer team do that um, you know, just record that and see what kind of stuff comes out of it. Cause I think that you'll find any conversation that you have is an opportunity for for you to learn. It's an opportunity for the person that you're having a conversation with to learn. And there's, you know, if it's a thoughtful um, engaging um, authentic conversation, there's usually something great that comes out of it.
4: Yeah. And, you know, I, um, I see the potential with that, but one of the problems we have faced in the past, um, and you know, it's something that we need to overcome. And like, I, I'd actually, I actually have a question of how we're going to overcome that. Um, since we're, since a lot of our volunteers out, um, our, um, high school students yeah, that, or, or middle school students, they do see, um, the Apollo foundation volunteering for the Apollo foundation as somewhat, um, of, um, I've, I mean, I've noticed a lot of them do have the the attitude where it's, it's something that they're like checking off on a list of extracurricular or something like that. Uh-huh. And it might seem like, um, a chore e- even possibly to have, um, to them at least to have bi-weekly, um, or monthly video calls, which is obviously not the direction we're trying to go. We're trying to create like meaningful relationships with our volunteers yeah. and, you know, incentivize them to, um, carry out their work. So do you have any ideas on how to shift the, um, the tone of our relationship with our volunteers from, uh, or certain volunteers at least to, from, yeah. uh, being something of a chore to actually being like a meaningful relationship and they, that they want to engage in.
2: Hmm. So I, I do have a couple of ideas. Um, wh- one idea is to vet your volunteers, um, a little bit more. So instead of just letting anyone and everyone who, who checks a volunteer box become, you know, a volunteer, um, have some sort of a process or some sort of an interview or, or some tasks that are required to, to become a volunteer. So, ma- so basically what you're doing is you're, you're, um, you're lifting up the idea of what a volunteer is to the organization and, and what the volunteer should expect out of, out of their um, engagement as well as what the organization should expect out of the engagement. So just making sure that, that, uh, that you create some kind of a process by which people, um, you know, go, go through a series of questions or, or, or um, steps or, you know, submitting something, just make it, maybe make it a little bit of a roadblock and certainly you'll reduce the number of volunteers, but I think your volunteer quality will go up and that, that, uh, group will also be able to make recommendations or introductions to other volunteers that would be of a similar, um, you know, quality and, and have a similar mission in terms of, of wanting to make the world a better place, not just, not just check a box to, to get into college. Did that answer your question?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think like vetting them is, is a good idea i mean obviously yeah the number of volunteers is also like a point of contention but obviously there has to be a balancing factor between quality of volunteers and number of volunteers so yeah. i think that's that's definitely definitely something that we um we're gonna look into uh, incorporating into like how we recruit our volunteers
2: yeah it's just a matter of if if you had if you had ten great people um versus a hundred people who who weren't well aligned um you know, one of the things with running a business in in an organization like yours is actually a business. Um, you know, but one of the things to, to consider is the overall culture. And if the volunteer experience for, for whatever reason, particularly if there are some volunteers that aren't pulling their weight or are weighing things down, even, um, you know, those can, can really have a negative effect on the great volunteers that you have. So building and creating a, 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 an organizational culture that is, uh, you know, inclusive and is passionate and, and really comes back down to the idea of core values in terms of what you're trying to achieve and making sure that when you bring people on, so let's, let's consider volunteers as, as hires. So as you're hiring these people, um, that they're going to be a positive influence to the overall culture of the organization and, and lift the whole thing up.
5: Yeah, I think that we need to do that in the future because obviously so, some of our volunteers, they don't put in much effort or they're just part of the club to be part of the club. Right. So I was wondering if you had any advice on specifically trying to filter out these people that we currently have or trying to ensure that these people are more active.
2: Well, it's a little hard to ask people to uh to do things sometimes for when when they're doing it for free but i think that if you position if you position it in terms of the 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 impact and the positive benefit that you're trying to bring to the world and that you want everybody to be on board and everybody to be enthusiastic and maybe start there's sort of some minimum um, requirements to, to be a volunteer or to, or to stay as a certain level of volunteer. So maybe, maybe you could have different levels so people could decide where they wanted to, where they wanted to land. So, you know, you can just be a supporter and, um, and supporters are people who get the, you know, get regular emails, they get access to webinars when those happen. And, and in return, you would love for them to share, um, you know, to share things about, um, the Apollo foundation on their social media. So it's a really low lift. Um, they get something out of it. You get something out of it. Um, but it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not a super heavy lift and then there's a a next level and maybe those people are, um, you know, are, are, our crew volunteers, or you you can come up with whatever name that you have for them. And they might work within a certain department. Um, The expectation might be that, that they could get a, you know, uh, a letter of participation um, from the organization um, or they could log volunteer hours and then just come up with what the, those expectations are. Then you could have crew chiefs and those people would have, you know, a different set of expectations and would get a, a different set of value out of it. But ultimately um, you know, trying to figure out how to create a structure within the organization that allows people to people to engage at the level that, that they're comfortable with. It allows you to create incentives to boost people up to different levels if they're doing um, good work. So if you have someone who's on a crew and they're just, you know, they're just killing it, um, you can say, hey, you know, we really would love for you to be a crew chief. Would you be interested in that? Um, and, and then that way there's ways to escalate.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And just a preface, um, like Ryan said before, we kind of you. I I know you mentioned departments. We we do have uh, three major departments, uh, like Ryan said: Mm -hmm. PR, uh, fundraising, and operations. And operations is sort of helping with the initiatives and um, making curriculum for the uh, projects. So uh, within within those departments, we obviously have department guidelines um and we have guidelines for each role that people are able to go into right and and these roles are not kind of level based but what you said like there, there there should be like levels like there should be like a social media volunteer for example who's just a supporter and then it goes all the way up to some someone like a department chief like you said so um could you explain more about uh what the de- like the crew chief uh, would do exactly Cause I was confused on that part.
2: Yeah. So I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not familiar with your organization, uh, in terms of the ins and outs, but what I was envisioning was that there could be a supporter level and those people, it's a very low value exchange. You know, they, they may share some stuff on with their networks. Um, they may talk nicely about you guys and then they get some sort of supporter recognition. Um, and then, if they wanted to be a volunteer, they could come on. And let's say they are, um, let's say they're a volunteer in the in the PR realm. Maybe the to be a volunteer, there's a, a requirement of minimum number of of social media posts done every month, or um, you know you, you basically set minimums. And then for a chief would be somebody who would basically be kind of helping to manage those volunteers. So that allows you. You and you know the core group of of guys here who have created the foundation that allows you to stay focused on that high level stuff that uh, that brings a lot of value to the organization and lets you have somebody more in charge of that day to day operation stuff that uh, that keeps the engine running. So they're you know they're putting fuel in the tra- in the tank and you are building the car.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um. Yeah. So uh, if Brian would want to talk to this, but currently we don't have roles. So what you're saying is essentially have roles in order for for them to even stay engaged and stuff and give them some more responsibilities rather than just kind of spoon feeding
2: them. Well, yeah, what what I'm hearing is that is that you have a problem with some you know, some volunteers that maybe aren't aren't pulling their weight. Yeah. Yeah. So what that can do is you know, that can, that can create a pull on the volunteers that are, are doing great work. Um, You know, if they're, if the, you know, if they're out there trying to get Susie to engage and Susie's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. um, And, and um, you know, Laura is out there working her tail off to, to try and promote the, the organization. And there's, you know, there's that visibility into that. Um, then, you know, Laura might start to, to think, well, why am I working so hard on this when, when someone else isn't? And one of the things that is, it's a harsh reality, but it's, it is, you know, kind of part of the business world is it, not everyone's a great fit. And the saying that you hear a lot is, is hire slow and fire fast. Um, there's, there's. There sometimes is nothing more destructive than a um, than a a bad apple in the mix, and and so if you take your time hiring, so if you take your time vetting your volunteer base, um, or even your um, your sponsors, you know, making sure that your sponsors are really aligned with your mission, um, but but really taking that time to vet people and to ensure that that you're bringing on the right the people who are the right fit. Um, and then if you discover that they're not the right fit, figuring out how to, how to remove them from, from that, uh, that bushel as quickly as possible. So higher, hire slow fire fast is something that, that I think, you know, it's, it, like I said, it's a challenge. Uh, it's no fun. That HR piece is always, always interesting, but that's something that if you could kind of take it to heart, I think it'll be good for your org.
1: Yeah, definitely. And like you said, I mean, would it be efficient to create an HR department in that case?
2: I think eventually. Yeah. Um, Right now you probably, you know, that's probably a little bit of of overkill. It could be just housed within ops, but, um, but eventually maybe if you get, you know, when you get big enough that, that you're, you're dealing with needing to bring people on, on the team, Um, you know, either, here in the states or internationally, I think that that an hr department is something that that you'll find it becomes you know almost necessary
1: yeah and and sort of the last thing we had in terms of volunteers is how how exactly to push out assignments and um if not assignments have them do stuff like in their department or role.
2: Yeah I think setting expectations early is is the first thing I would do in terms of uh, just making sure that people understand what they're volunteering for and set that expectation. So if you can figure out what the goals are for each of the departments that you're, that you're getting volunteers to, to, uh, to be part of. Um, So whether that's, you know, part of the, part of this is that you attend, um, video calls once a month or once every two weeks. And, and certainly, you know, we, we need you to be there as often as possible. Um, you know, with a, with the idea that you can't miss more than two in any six month period, or, you know, just basically just teeing up what your needs are for each of those departments and what the goals are so that you can have something to, to drive toward, um, you know, the, it's, it's hard to steer a ship if you don't know where you're going. And so really just teeing up where you're trying to go. And, uh, and that'll, that'll do a lot uh, to, to, uh, to get things going the right direction. Well, I can't believe it's been over an hour since we first started talking and I appreciate you guys bearing with some of the technical challenges we had there at the start. Um, how can people find out more about more about Apollo Foundation? Where what's the best place for them to go?
3: Yeah, Yash, if you want to talk about that. Uh, so wait, sorry, could you repeat that?
2: Where, where's the best place for people to find out about you?
3: Oh, uh, so the best place uh, for someone to find out about us, actually, I think it would just be through google as of right now to be honest because
4: and our website of course like apollofdn.org
3: yeah so and our so once you search uh anything up related to volunteering you would get a link to our website and then on on our website you could learn quite a lot about apollo foundation uh, our volunteers our partners and also our chapters if anyone would be interested in starting a chapter
1: yeah. And if you'd like to contact any of us, um, our emails, I'm sure, uh, Stu will put our name, our, f- our first name, last names in, uh, whenever we push out this podcast, It'll, it's, uh, for example, Yasha Yonker, first name, last name at Apollo FD on FDN.org. Fantastic. So if you'd like to email any of us individually cool. or, or collectively, it'd be co- contact at Apollo foundation.com.
2: Awesome. Uh, I will share that link. Um, so I like to end all of our shows, all of my shows with, uh, with, a the idea of action. Um, I really love having these conversations and hope that you guys have, have gotten a lot out of this and, and have things that you can act upon. But if, if you were to have our audience who's listening today, take any sort of action to make the world a better place, um, after listening to the show, what, what would you have them do? I'll let you guys just kind of go in any order that, uh, that you feel, feel like you'd like to answer.
0: I think, um, this is very abstract in general, but the biggest thing I would say is like just do it, don't let something like hold you back or um you know something stop you from doing what you think is right. so being righteous in that way you know really helps out and in ways that a lot of people don't know, and something that I've discovered too
4: um I think if I had um to give my two cents on the matter, I think it'd be. To check in on the people close to you and the people that you care about, because um, trust me, they'll appreciate it a lot more than you think.
2: Awesome.
1: And if I had to say anything, it would be go for whatever you are passionate about. For example, uh, we we when we were all from India and we saw all this poverty and the inability to access education, and we all we thought that we could truly make a change, and here we are now starting this up. Uh, we started up and don't be afraid to start it up and do something for the world.
5: Yeah. What I thought my advice would be that there's always going to be a thousand reasons why you shouldn't do something, but you should be the one reason why you do start something and be the reason that those thousand reasons don't exist anymore.
3: Yeah. And so essentially, if you have any problem in your community, for example, Ah, uh, you should be the first person to go ahead and try to fix that problem instead of waiting for someone else to fix it, or not just your community in the world, ah uh, perhaps, but yeah, that's pretty much it, generally.
2: That's great. I think I got everybody i I love those uh I love those action items guys and i really really appreciate you being on the show and encourage you to to continue to go out there and crush it and make the world a better place and i'm i'm just inspired to hear your story and and look forward to hearing more about how you guys are making the world a better place thanks for being on the show
1: thank you so much for having
2: us thank you so much
1: thank you thank you you.
2: all right there you have it another great episode of relish this thanks for listening if you would like to learn more about how to apply the audience engagement cycle to expand your organization's mission, there are two things you can do. Right now, you can go to missionuncomfortablebook.com to download a copy of my book. And while you're there, you can get your purpose-driven marketing score to see where you can unearth some gold for your organization. If you'd like to listen to back episodes of the show or sign up to be a guest, go to relishstudio.com podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week for another great episode of Relish This.